0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the TriFaster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon specific training and coaching, discuss current triathlon news and races, uh, and dive a little bit deeper into my prep for the Chicago Marathon. My name is Michael. Uh, I'm your average age group triathlete, and I am joined here by my friend and coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith?
1: Great, Michael. Excited to be uh, recording again.
0: Yeah, we're we're getting a little bit closer to a regular schedule, um, which is awesome because it's going to allow us to one preview the PTO U.S. Open coming up. Uh, we have several races that we are going to recap that have happened over the last couple of weeks. Um, in our prior episode, we talked about the long run, um, and in today's episode, we're going to be diving into how do you balance a week? How do you create a, a training week that incorporates all the necessary types of workouts that you need to become a faster Athlete. Um, before we jump into that main topic though for today, Keith, give us an update. How's everything been going on your end? Uh, and you're in Dallas, just so for everyone that doesn't know, um, and, and you're five, seven, five or six days away from the from the US Open.
1: Yeah, we're really excited. It's uh Saturday and Sunday this week. They're they're doing the sprint and the pro women's race on Saturday, and then the long course race in the pro men are on Sunday. Um both days are gonna be kind of long, so that's the only thing. That that mm-hmm. seems like a negative so far is the scheduling. So, like the A Troopers on Sunday, we're taking off at about seven, and then we have to hang out until two thirty or two forty-five for the pro men start. So, you know, it's going to be four hours and three and a half hours in between finishing and and getting to watch the men take off. So that's kind of a big gap. Um, but mm-hmm. the course is out for the A Troopers. It's been out for a while. I think I don't I don't remember if we talked about it or not when it came out, but Pretty technical, three loop bike and a three-loop run. The run is just a a triple out and back. But the the bike course has a lot of turns. So hopefully we'll have a chance to drive that Friday and take a look at it. Um and then the pro the pro course is a little bit different. They're doing seven, seven mile laps out and back, from what I understand on the bike. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's gonna be pretty fast. I think it's a U-turn at each end, and they've got something like five or six lanes, so they won't even really have to slow down. To make the U-turn, they'll just sweep it around and come back. So, um, we're really excited. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on, um, as far as the pro side, uh, but we're all looking forward to it. We're going to have a pretty good club presence out there both days. So, uh, it's not very often you get a big race like this at home. So that's, yeah.
0: How many that's, athletes do you have out there?
1: I want to say 12 or 14. It's a pretty good, good number awesome. for a smaller club. So we're, we're excited. Yeah,
0: that's, that's great.
1: The training's going pretty well. I'm still kind of focused more on St. George here in a few weeks. That's seven weeks away, I think. So that's still kind of the big focus. But uh, starting to get back in shape. Had a few good training weeks and uh, some good racing. We went up to Arkansas a couple weeks ago, or I guess just a week ago, and uh, they've got a fun race up there. So we they do a, a sprint on Saturday morning and a super sprint Saturday night, and then a double sprint Olympic on. Sunday morning. And so we all went up there and did some combination of the races. And that was, that was pretty fun. Um, uh, the the double sprint is, is really painful.
0: So that was, you, that's so you go I through do. swim bike run, swim bike run. Is that how that works? Yeah. And they have it in a 50 meter pool and you do 813 miles
1: in 5k and then run back into transition three and drop your shoes off and run it to the pool. And then you oh, do 13 miles in 5k. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And that hurts way more than a regular Olympic. Uh, the second swim, you feel like you're drowning. And the second bike, your legs never come around, mm-hmm. um, especially doing the sprint and the super sprint the day before. Like, I don't think my legs ever really loosened up. Um, I think it was like the last, it, it was a, uh, the bike course was four loops each time. I think the last two laps of the first bike and maybe the first two miles of the first run, my legs felt pretty good. And then the rest of it was just
0: making it so that's cool i think those unique formats are a great way to get new to athletes interested in the sport um that sounds like that sounds a little bit though intimidating probably for a new athlete who wants to do a sprint twice if they've never done a try though (laughs) yeah it would be cool if the if there was like a double super sprint
1: or even like a triple super sprint and just kind of go through over and over and over Um maybe a little faster because it still is kind of a you're still pacing it like an Olympic. So it doesn't feel as fast as you would think. It's not like when you watch Super League and they're doing like a double.
0: That's good. Super sprint. You're, pre- yeah. you're pacing it right. I'm sure there's a lot of people there that pace it like a sprint and are really regretful in that second swim. Yeah. But uh, how's your training? It sounds like we had a good long run yesterday. We did. Yeah. I had a good long run yesterday. Since we last spoke, I've had three long runs. So last time we spoke, we talked on the long run, long workout. Since then, I've had three long runs. Those are my three longest runs I've ever done. Uh, And I have some observations, feedback I'd like to share with you and and get get some of your input on. Uh, The first one is that the fatigue from the long run is hard to shake and it lingers. All right. So one of the long runs was on us. The very first one was on a Sunday. I followed it up the very next Thursday with another one because the following weekend was going to be a little bit hectic. And I tried to tried to squeeze them close together. The first one went really well. The second one on that Thursday, uh, didn't go really well. It started out okay. But by the second or, or third interval of that workout, I could just tell the fatigue was bearing down and I wasn't hitting the paces that I needed to. Um, even though like I would say the day before I was feeling okay, maybe a little bit of fatigue, but nothing that I would have thought would have created fatigue in the workout the very next day. So, so, so to me, that was surprising. Um, and hitting, hitting that mileage with that, with that intensity, it's harder to shake than I thought. That's my first observation. The second is one, and maybe more observation, but also talking a little bit like last week, um, something we didn't mention is really utilizing these long runs, long workouts as preps for race day. What this has meant to me, is it means waking up early to get breakfast in, not quite as early as I planned to for the Chicago Marathon, but at least 90 minutes beforehand, eating the same breakfast that I planned to eat before race day and as much as possible wearing the same kit gear that I plan to use for race day. Um, you know, again, not exactly the same gear that I plan to use for race day each time. Um, but Hey, am I wearing carbon plated shoes for two out of three of those runs on my long runs? I did. Am I wearing kit that I think is a kit that I'm going to be wearing on race day? Absolutely. And that's just to become a little bit more familiar with it. Um, Third takeaway I've had from these long runs is this is the time to test something new. In our last conversation, we talked about the long workout. Uh, we talked about nutrition a little bit and how I planned. I think I told you, I plan to take a gel every one gel, every 20 minutes. And while I still hold to that, I still want to aim to hit one gel every 20 minutes. Um, what I've already discovered in three long runs is that's probably going to be a little bit aggressive. Um, just to put down and put down easily. I think every 25 to 30 minutes is going to be more reasonable, Um, but but I'm going to hold to that 20 minute goal because I think that that's going to help me at least I can tell already in these long runs is to stay closer to 25 to 30 minutes versus if my goal was 20 every 25 or 30 minutes, it'd probably be very easy to let it slip to 35 or 40 minutes. And I I don't want to let that happen, Um, but I'm pushing as much as possible. Hey, 20 minutes on the clock, time to test something new. Let me put down another gel better to test that today or today in the long run than realizing during the Chicago marathon that that was just too much for my stomach. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm testing it. I'm trying to find the limits of what I can do running at race pace. Uh, and then the fourth takeaway I've had from these long runs is it's just taking longer to warm up. I don't know if it's because it's starting to get cooler here in Northern Illinois. Maybe I'm getting older. Uh, or it's just something about training for a marathon when you know you have a very long, long way to go that you just don't want to come out the gate too hot. Um, but pretty much in each one of these long runs with with marathon pace quality, um, I've started slower than, slower than goal. Um, and quickly, you know, one mile, mile and a half in, I start feeling a lot better. But it's early on. Um, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And that's usually the worst mile of the entire run for me. Yeah. So then we know that you do need to warm up on race day. And that's the hardest. How?
1: How do you do that? I think I think a lot of people don't warm up for marathons and that's kind of a mistake because you're already having to run 26 miles. But I do think you need even if it's five, ten minutes, just to kind of slow jog and get your get your body going a little bit um so that you can be ready to go when you start. I mean if you're out there if you're going to be out there more probably more than four hours, like I would say that you can kind of work your way into the marathon most likely. Um but if you're trying to run under 3 hours like you are then I think you do need a few minutes to warm up and it's okay that you're going to end up running, you know, 28
0: miles on the day. Well, I mean in a marathon like Chicago you're going to have to probably you're going to park your car at least a mile away from where you're starting anyway, right? Well, so you, you park your car, you jog, you jog over to Grant Park, you get checked in, you got to go through security just to get to the start line. Um uh, yeah, you're you're probably going to be warming up throughout that entire process. Also like every other big city marathon, I think you wear your sweats over top of your race kit uh, and you dump them right at the start line. So there's a big amount of of clothing that goes to charity afterwards. So I think you kind of plan for all that. And then you just, I guess my, my hope is adrenaline takes me the rest of the way. Um, so that I don't start out too sluggish.
1: (laughs) <laughs> if you're, if you're listening and you haven't run one of the the larger marathons or, or road races always have some, some throwaway clothes. So lots yeah. of times I'll, I'll keep some old, uh, race shirts that I got that I will never wear the really ugly ones, but they're long sleeve and, and you wear that into the corral. And then at the last second, toss it in. Um, and like you said, a lot of the races pick it up and, and donate it somewhere. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm sure some people dump some nice stuff. Um, yeah. Right. but yeah, it's much better, a much better idea to have a pair of, you know, throwaway sweats, sweatshirt hat, maybe even gloves. Like honestly, if it's cold at Chicago, you might start the race with gloves. You get to an aid station, dump them, um, and just be fine with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I ran a 10 K here in February and it was, it was pretty cold. And I even started with gloves with hand warmers inside. And then I tossed the hand warmers at, at about mile four at an aid station and then just kept the gloves. Yeah. So better to be warm and take layers off too. Not that this is the marathon episode. Maybe we'll have that
0: a little later, but uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one point that I want to go back to and it really ties well to the main topic for today is, you know, organizing your training week. The very first observation that I had on these long runs, I've done my three longest runs I've ever done now over the past two and a half weeks. Um, is that the fatigue is just hard to shake. It takes time and you really have to work it into your training plan to be able to accomplish those key workouts well. Right. Can you give me any feedback on that before we kind of dive into the, the main topic or, or maybe it just makes sense to dive into the main topic right away?
1: Well, I think that kind of relates back to what we talked about last last time, right? With how long should your long run be? And I think it is, maybe you're seeing this now that it does take a while to get over some of the big ones. And so, you know, you have to make sure that you space those correctly and that you plan for the right amount of volume. Cause if you're just hammering out a huge long run every week or quality in your long run every week, then you're probably going to feel that if it's a Sunday long run, you might still be feeling it on Wednesday. And so we've got to be careful with that, especially with our triathlete audience, right? Because you've got two other sports that you have to worry about. So the long run does a lot to your legs. If you do it on Sunday and then you try to swim on Monday, it might not always go well, even though it's you know a different muscular group that you're utilizing in the swim for the most part. Um, just what it does to your whole body is it's it's pretty extreme. So we've got to be
2: careful with the long runs.
0: Let's dive into it then. All right. Managing the long runs, managing short aerobic efforts, everything that goes into training for a triathlon, training for a road race, whatever your discipline might be. There's a lot of different energy systems that you're trying to train. How do you organize it for your athletes? How do you kind of plan that out? So I think we'll kind of keep
1: this in the triathlon realm just because it's probably the most complicated as far as putting in, you know, where, where the workouts fall every week. Um, and so I think the first thing that you need to do whenever you're trying to put together your training block is, you know, figure out how much time you actually have every day. And I know we've talked about this before, but the time each day, um, if it's different, depending on the day of the week, you know, kind of circle certain days. Uh, I think the dream for most people is to get away from the normal seven-day cycle for the most part. I know that's impossible probably for the majority, but we want to be able to put the workouts where they need to be, right? And so I think your first consideration is the frequency of every sport. Um, I think at a minimum you have to do a, each sport at least twice a week. I don't, I don't think you can get away with any less than that. Um, but I think that if you're really trying to improve one of the three disciplines, you're probably looking at at least four sessions in that that discipline. Um, three might be, you know, reasonable. Um, but I think if we, if you can get three to four, depending on the week, um, and again, this is why you have to look at the microcycle length. So if you're on a seven-day cycle, you know, it's it might be hard to get in everything four times. But if you went to a, you know, a 14-day cycle, could you get everything in seven times? And maybe that's pretty good, right? And so I think that's the first thing you have to look at is how much time do you have and and the frequency that you can realistically
0: get workouts in. So um, and you're like, you're talking way above at least me because I don't even know what a cycle is. So you're but you're like talking yeah, in weeks, right? Right. So I think most people they kind of have the general like this is
1: your training week is on like a 7-day period, you know, and then some coaches will say like, "Oh, you'll have like two or three kind of bigger weeks and then a down week." So that would be like your more of a macrocycle view, right? Looking at the whole block. But then if we want to look at, you know, I the way I look at it is we kind of have the macro cycle of that might make, make up three, four five weeks of time. Um, and then maybe there's two repeated macro cycles back to back, depending on what kind of training phase you're in. But then we're trying to look at how we break up that larger period of time into smaller bits. And so I think that the traditional thing is usually seven days because that's the work week that we have, uh-huh. right? So eight troopers have the weekend to kind of put in a big workout or a couple big workouts and then you know, you kind of get in what you can on the weekdays. Um, And so I think that's the first thing is like, how many, how many days are you looking at? And then the way that you're going to vary, you know, your quality workouts with your recovery workouts or easy workouts. And so um, you want to look at how many sessions can you fit into a week? And then once you kind of know how many sessions you have, then you can figure out, you know, what uh, stimulus you're looking for, right? In each session,
0: yeah, I think that's the tricky part. Especially before we started working together, Keith was me trying to identify how often I can make a session a quality session. Um, and I use I've used so many different options out there, online training programs. I just wrote my own because I thought I knew what I was doing. And I was wrong. Um, ultimately, you kind of come up with a hey, I'm going to try to get quality at least what i did my error i tried to get quality into every session um, or quality into every discipline multiple times a week it just wasn't possible it led to burnout i was injured so many times over the past 13 years doing triathlon it's ridiculous Um, how how do you how do you manage quality when you're trying to plan so I, i think
1: the biggest thing is to look at like which which sport you want to put the quality in and then if there are certain ways that you could stack it. And so, yeah, I think you'll probably hear a lot of pros, especially or elite triathletes that are kind of sharing what they do. It'll sound like they're doing quality all the time. And it's probably because they can do quality run one day and a quality swim the next day and a quality ride the next day. And they can, you can kind of have something quality every day. Um, But then you still have to have some sort of kind of recovery phase after that, because even though swimming you know, is utilizing different muscles than cycling, right. You're still putting some fatigue on your body. And so you still need sessions to recover from that stress. Um, and so I think it's the, the way that you structure your training is you need to make sure that you have enough time in between. And so I think for most age group athletes, it's probably unrealistic to get two quality sessions in of everything. I think that's probably the goal would be to get two of two of every sport every week, or, you know, Maybe if you have a nine day cycle, it'd be really easy to get two of every sport every nine days or so, but you want to make sure that you have enough time in between because you can't, um,
2: uh,
1: you won't get as much out of the harder sessions if you're doing
0: them too close together. Like and so if I you're think, a new athlete, what does this mean though? Are you even going to be close to that? Or are you going to just be like one quality session a week? And and how long does it take to get to the point where you're doing two a week? I guess that's that's the question I'd have as like a as an age group, or how do I know where I fit on the spectrum of how much quality I can handle? So I think for me, my default is always if you're unsure if
1: you can handle a quality session today, don't do it. Right. Because you're I think a lot of people underestimate like the benefit of just easy endurance training over adding the quality in. And so uh, we have a time and a place, right, for the harder sessions, and we just have to make sure that we, we dose them appropriately. Um, and I think a lot of the times, too, some people make their quality sessions really long and, and difficult, and they don't quite need to be like that. We just need to kind of get the stimulus that we're looking for and then
2: and then call it a day.
1: Um, and so I think, like, using the eighty twenty 20 rule is a fairly nice guideline. Um, and I think one of the big misconceptions with the with the 20 is that People try to make it the time, right? So if you're not familiar with the 80 20 rule, right, it's about 80% is easy and aerobic and 20% is high intensity. Um, But it's actually by the session and not really by the time, right? So that means that for every five workouts you have, one of them would be a quality session and four of them would be, you know, an easy to steady session, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of where you draw the line there is probably. That's the hardest part. Like, what what becomes part of that twenty percent? That's high intensity, um, and I would say that that's something probably once you get close to your lactate threshold. That's that starts. That's where that twenty percent is. So if you're doing something at Ironman effort, that might fall into the aerobic side of things because you're not really going to go super super hard, right? Um, and so what ends up happening though is if Your sessions are, 80% of your sessions are aerobic. 20% of your sessions are are higher intensity. You're probably going to skew more towards like 90-10 as far as the actual time spent going easy and the time spent at a higher intensity.
0: Yeah, so one thing I've learned over the years and correct if it's wrong. So you said your lactic threshold, um, LT2, which would be heavy breathing, right? So if you're not sure like what that means, it's doing a workout where you're... (laughs) like breathing extremely heavy it like nearly impossible to talk multiple words together you're going to do short bursts of words um uh, that would be something that would be
1: above that and i think a good gauge you know and I, i know that we've kind of talked about lactate testing a little bit here um and and i think a lot of people think that there's generally like a certain heart rate threshold where that happens and i think that's a good guideline um but I feel like we also need to always have the disclaimer that you don't really know unless you're drawing blood, um, because your heart rate, like I'm drinking this cup of coffee right now and my heart rate is up, but my body's not producing lactate because I'm drinking coffee. Right. So it's not quite the same. It's not apples to apples. Like I can be outside mowing the lawn and my blood's not producing lactate, but my heart rate is up high just because it's really hot here in Texas. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you do have to keep that in mind when you're training. Um, But for me, usually I, I think the easiest way to kind of describe it is whenever you're in a workout, you'll probably feel, um, if you're doing something that feels like about a threshold effort, there's a point where the workout gets a lot harder and your heart rate doesn't really change. And so I think that's kind of the guideline is if you have to make it really hard and your heart rate doesn't really go up, then back off to get under that threshold, um, but again, that's not that's not really like where we're going with this with this podcast. But that's yeah. kind of the, the guideline of if you're really really hurting and your heart rate's stagnant, then you know you're probably
0: there. Yeah, well, uh, that should hopefully help other athletes or newer athletes understand how hard is hard um, right. because you shouldn't be able to talk when you're doing your hard sessions. But you also don't necessarily need to be in a sprint, right? So you right. need to get to that right spot. Um, and if you're an absolutely new athlete and you have no idea what you're doing get with the team, get with a coach. They're going to help you identify that. Uh, If you're somewhat familiar with it uh, or you're used to using a heart rate monitor, try to utilize that because that might help get you in the right ballpark. It's important that you don't go too hard, um, but you have to, you have to get, you have to work hard enough. It's a fine line. So just to give maybe a a quick example
1: of what your outline of the week can look like. Um, I think for most age groupers, if you're going to have, if you're going to try to fit everything into a a seven day cycle, usually your work, your weekends are pretty big. So I would say like Monday, that's kind of a day to get a quality swim if you weren't able to swim over the weekend. So maybe a quality swim on Monday, um, something very easy aerobic on the bike or the run. Um, if with a second workout, if you have one, um, and then Tuesday, um is probably the best day to put on, you know, a quality ride. That way you've got um you're not pounding on the legs with another run um from the weekend and then another easy workout in the afternoon, whether that's swimming or running. And then Wednesday, probably an aerobic day, like a longer easy swim, you know, and then an an easy bike or run. And so like at this point we'll have had six sessions, right? And only two of them will have been quality. So we're not quite into the 80-20, right? But assuming that that you can work out twice a day, this is kind of where we are. Um, and then Thursday would be the time to get a quality run with an easy swimmer bike. And then Friday, probably a quality swim with an easy, maybe nothing, maybe just a swim on Friday if you're going to have a really big weekend. Um, and then put your long ride or your long run on Saturday and the other one on Sunday Um, And kind of like we had talked about last week, I think the one that is the most important is probably the one you want to put on Saturday. And I think for me, the the usual exception would be if you're training for an Ironman, put the long ride on Saturday and the long run on Sunday. Uh, That way you're kind of running with, with a little bit of fatigue in your legs for that long run. And and again, dose that appropriately so that, you know, it's the right week. Um, But what, you know, to kind of go through some models that we, that you can see out there pretty common, you know, kind of a hard, easy alternation. Um, like this example week was where you kind of have a harder day followed by a little bit of an easier day or maybe even like two harder days. Right. Uh, but not running and biking back to back. Um, and that's something you can experiment with. If you think that, you know, you can do a hard ride and a hard run back to back days, then maybe that's, that's something you can, you can look at. But, um, I think for, for most people, you kind of want to alter day. Um, something else you might see, though, if, if you think that you can handle it, would be to do two harder days with an easy day. Um, and so that would be, you know, maybe you can do a hard ride, hard run, and then have your easy day. And maybe that day has a quality swim in it. Um, but I think the, the model that I really like, that um, it's probably for a slightly more advanced athlete, and this is something that a lot of our juniors are probably going to start next year, um, a couple of our older, like U 23 age athletes kind of do this as, as often as we can make it work, um, as we kind of go with a four day micro cycle that will repeat, um, three or four times. And so we might squeeze it into a 14 day cycle so that it, it works out kind of with the days of the week, but we'll have like a really, really intense workout on day one, um, with some sort of recovery session as the second session. And then, kind of a tempo we work out in a different sport. So, um, the first day, it might be like a VO2 max type run. And then the second day, we might be able to do um, either a tempo swim or like a tempo ride, something sub threshold. And then the third day will be an endurance day. So, that would be where they put in their long ride or their long run. Um, and then the fourth day would be all easy. And so, after we repeat that three times, Right. That's kind of like nine days of quality over a 12 day period. And then to kind of even it out, we'll have like an extra endurance day and then an extra easy day to round out the 14 days. And then they're ready to go that Monday again. So, assuming we start on a Monday. Right. And so that's uh-huh. kind of how we make this four day cycle fit into a 14 day cycle. Um, and so then the thing that I've found with this is instead of doing like two or three weeks on and then one week off, like it's kind of traditional we can just roll this 14 day cycle over and over and over again. Uh, because what ends up happening is you get two or three recovery days. So we never really need to take like a down week. We just take two or three recovery days and then get back into our four day cycle again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that approach because I hate recovery weeks myself. Right. Um, here's a question and, and it's probably another conversation, but like the difference between endurance and easy is probably hard for a lot of yeah. age groupers, myself yeah. included. Like, I don't think I actually do easy workouts. I do a lot more in endurance. Like you tell me to do an easy bike and I know I'm not in the easy zone. So I, I just like, no, I'm just going to bike at 200 Watts. That's easy enough. And, and my heart rate and my power from every metric, if you look at it, it would say it's more of an endurance zone. Like how bad is that? If you're not really getting down into easy. I think it's best to try to
1: get into the easy as much as you can yeah. and and I, it's okay. I know it's hard in the Strava world to, yeah. to not go as, as easy as you can, but it's, it's all right. Um, uh, I was at the same race actually where I was talking about the hand warmers. Um, after I finished, I, had, I saw a guy that I had seen a couple of years ago at another race and he said, I noticed on Strava that all of your easy runs are slower than eight minute miles. He said, is that real or is there something going on? And I said, no, all of my easy runs are slower than eight minute miles. Very rarely do I get faster than that, unless I'm feeling really, really good. Like I have a lot of easy runs where I'll run between 7.45 and 8.30, um, but I can still run under fives right on on race day for 5K. And so it's just, you know, you got to relax
0: and it's okay to relax. It's hard to do it. I I don't know. I I can't. I haven't been I'm haven't been very successful at it. So I'll continue to, to work on that, I guess. But if you're
1: trying to maybe find the difference between what is an endurance day and an easy day, um in this model we're saying that that endurance workout would be like a 2-hour run or a 3-hour ride. So it's may it might be at an easy effort, but it would be very long, right? Um or it might be slightly shorter, but the intensity is zone two in a five zone model, right. Or the upper end of zone one or the lower end of zone two in a three zone model, um, where it's probably that, that line, if you're kind of a higher end athlete, it might be somewhere between Ironman and 70.3 effort. Right. And then maybe if you're kind of on the beginner side, it's probably
2: around your Ironman effort would be the endurance workouts.
0: Good stuff. Uh, I think that's all really helpful, especially for, the most age groupers that are designing their own plans or trying to, uh, and what I, even though you didn't say it, one of the key takeaways I'm having from this, or I, I maybe I'd mentioned two is one, uh, it's really hard to get swift to fit into this model. <laughs> uh, it's almost fall. I'm already looking forward to signing back up for swift cause I'm pretty sure their model, or at least my model when I'm on swift is hard, 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 and even harder. So that's going to be a challenge that, that you need to, you need to work out into my own training plan. And then I guess going with that, my next takeaway is if you don't understand this, lean on other people to help you. Um, because yes, you can get fitter if you're coming from the couch and doing nothing to just getting out and doing something, even if it's hard, hard, but you know, we didn't really dive into it much. If you don't do your training plan, right, you're not one setting yourself up for success. And then maybe even more importantly, too, you're risking injury. If you are going too hard and, um, you know, I think at least myself and I'm sure you Keith and with all your athletes, you want your athletes to have fun, enjoy the sport, endurance sport, whatever realm of endurance that they're in and, um, and really having the right training plan goes a long way. That's right. Cool. Um, all right, let's kind of move on. We have a couple, couple things to dive through here. First, I want to give you a quick question. Um, this one, you know, if anyone has questions, you can certainly submit them to us, reach out to us on Instagram, hashtag try podcast. But this one comes from me because, uh, I just kind of, again, toying with new things for the marathon coming up in a couple of weeks. And I wanted to ask the question tights versus shorts. What do you do half marathon marathon type events? Uh, tights. Everyone's going with tights lately. Like, I feel like it's, it's as. Taken over the running world over the running last short. couple of years. Tight, tight shorts, yes. Tight, tight running shorts. Yeah, yeah, like tight. Yes, yes. Mid thigh tight running running brief, yes. for lack of a better term,
1: we'll call them shorts. Yeah, yeah. and I think okay. that in on training runs, I don't mind having loose fitting shorts on, especially when it's really hot here in Texas. Uh, but then on the flip side of that is on the hard training runs when I'm going to get really, really sweaty, I would rather than be tight. And the aerodynamics too, you
0: know, I don't, I was going to wonder, like, is there a study on the aerodynamics of it? Cause I'm all about that. That, if it's, if it's a couple watts faster. Um, so, but, but also I'm, I'm not the lightest runner. So tights are also good for chafing, right? That's going to help prevent, help prevent chafing. It's going to make your legs a little smoother. Um, so I wore, I wore tights for the very first time just yesterday in the long run. It went really well. It was comfortable. I can hold at least four. I had four gels. I still had an empty pocket in the tights, no problem. And for the marathon, I'm thinking six, seven gels I'm going to need. So all those things work out well. We're, we're shorts. I feel like you don't have as many options for the pockets because. Well, they're not, there's nowhere to hold those, The waistband isn't going to hold them. So tights, I think are the way to go. Yeah, I think
1: so too. And you can you can pour water on yourself if you need to, and you don't have to worry about it. And you know you can sweat a lot, and and it's okay that they're wet because they're not going to like stick to your body or yeah, you know, restrict your motion like shorts
0: would. All right, it's unanimous. Everyone buy your tights. I actually uh, do cool. want
1: to run in races in tri shorts.
0: Oh, uh, I mean that's what that's, that's what my wife said very, when very I said big, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I said I bought a pair of tights for the marathon. She's like, why don't you just wear what you already have? And It's like, well, I don't want to run around a marathon with a padded butt, That's, even though if it's a small pad for like a tri short, I didn't want to do that. That's kind of weird. Yeah. So I've, I've, there are running tights. That's what I got. And, uh, they work well. If you haven't tried tights, go for it. I think shorts work. I use shorts for every other workout. I've never had an issue with them, but I think utility and the distance is the reason I'm going to pick tights. Uh, let's jump over to the weekly workout. Keith, what do you have for us? So I'm going
1: to give you a, a taper workout since it's race week for everyone that's doing the US Open. Um uh, the workout we did in the pool this morning, we kind of did a standard standard warm up, so whatever you like to do to warm up. We did some easy swimming and then some progressive 50s and then some pretty fast 25s. And then I think the biggest thing to remember when you're tapering is you're trying to find a pace that's right around your race pace, probably not much faster unless it's an Ironman. You might go a tiny bit faster. Um, but what we did this morning was we got in the pool, and everyone swimming uh, everyone doing the sprint this weekend did four to five times a hundred at their sprint try pace, and then uh, everyone doing the long course this weekend um also did five times a hundred. We did those at two k pace, maybe slightly harder than two k pace um and then we actually, just for kind of the ease of the session, everybody went on one forty so um, our first junior guy, he was swimming 102s, and he got a ton of rest. And then those of us <laughs> swimming doing the long course race, we were swimming about 118 to 120, and we were getting about 20 seconds rest. But it allowed those guys that were uh, working at a much higher percentage of effort to be able to have a little bit of a break, so it wasn't an extremely hard session. Um, and then for those of us racing the longer race, it was a little bit more aerobic because we didn't have quite as much time uh, to turn around. So. Um, just try to remember to keep your taper workouts, uh, nice and even don't really need to go beyond race pace too much. Uh, and then we did a little bit at the end, we kind of broke into groups and had some fun. Uh, did some relays so that we got some speed in and did some fast fifties and then,
0: uh, cooled down a little bit. Awesome. And I think that's just perfect timing for us to, since we're talking about it, the U S open, um, let's preview that uh and, and jump into that conversation. So for the very first time the PTO is opens US, Canadian, European across the globe. Um it is finally time for the US Open. We have a pretty stacked field um both men's and women's coming to Dallas. And um who are you excited to watch for? Let's go to the women's side first.
2: Okay. So,
1: looking at the women's start list, uh, it's not a—it's not nearly as long as the men's. I think they've—they have added some more uh, in the last week or two. Um, so it's nice to see that there's going to be a pretty good, good amount. Um, and I know that everyone's excited about the people you would expect, like Lucy Charles and Ashley Gentle and and Paula Taylor Nibs coming back, Kat Matthews. Mm-hmm. But they added Flora Duffy just a, a few days ago, and yeah, I, think I see her on there. I'm I'm very excited to see uh, what she does over the longer distance, uh, especially since she's had so much luck. Bad luck, I mean, trying to do a 70.3 this year. Um, she's finally going to get a crack at that middle distance.
0: Yeah, I. Y- y- are you thinking she's a podium contender? I think so. Really? Yeah. Okay. She'll be out of the
1: water behind Lucy and and probably be able to hang
2: and then outrun her.
0: I mean, I think that would be cool to see. Um, this this is a stacked field, in my opinion, for a lot of people that you just mentioned. Uh, Paula Taylor, Ashley. I, it, I think the biggest unknown is like how fit is Lucy Charles Barkley coming back? Um, we saw her race the, what, the Europe, what was it? The European she, we she saw her race She The the world triathlons long distance championship, long distance championship. Right. And she, she came back, she performed really well, but it wasn't necessarily a, a stacked field. Um, right. This field certainly has, has a lot more competition than what she saw there. Um, she, no doubt. I think she'll still be up and onto the bike a couple minutes ahead of some of the main competitors that she's going to have. cat Matthews is definitely going to bike hard. Um, I don't know where, where Taylor nibs going to, factor into all that in the swim, like how far back is she going to be from Lucy or will, will, she, yeah, she's been, will she be in the she's same group her... as Kat Matthews? I have no idea.
2: Yeah. She hasn't
1: uh. raced. since May. So I don't know that we have a, a good idea of what, what her fitness is like. Um, but she is a front pack swimmer. I mean, if okay. she's capable of coming out with Lucy, I think on the right day. Um, and so she could end up being off the front and maybe they're there a f- breakaway on the bike, um, a draft, you know, appropriate distance
0: breakaway on the bike. But, right. um,
2: yeah, I, I think, think, think
0: Lucy's just her. too strong in the water to have competition near her. So that's my, my concern for her is that she comes out just by herself. Yeah. But and she might come out with Taylor
1: and Flora and then it might just be that group trying to get away. Um, but then you have Paul there's, and there's a lot of Matthews, good names. We have I to remember. Mean, yeah, Lisa Norton is here too. Um Holly Lawrence. There's there's a lot of a lot of good names here. Um Sarah Perez is a very fast swimmer, so she might be out in the front too. Um, but who do you think's
0: who who's your uh, your podium picks? I I mean I'm gonna go with Lucy because I want to I want to see the comeback in epic fashion. Um and this would this would this is certainly degrees more competition than what she saw just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, so I'll go for her taking the top spot. I want to see Taylor nib representing the U S on there. Um, and, and then I'll go with Paula Finley. Cause I think she's just probably all around athlete of, of this list and she's performing exceptionally well, what we've seen from her uh, over the past couple of months. So, so that's my list. It's hard. It's kind of crazy that I don't put Kat Matthews on the podium, but, um, We'll see. I think she, she could, she could easily be a favorite, but this, this is, this is the PTO long distance, which has just a little bit more favored to the swim than other disciplines. So how does she fare in that uh, equation? Would is the question mark?
1: Yeah. And I'm, I think my podium is going to be a little bit different. I'm I'm going to say that Flora is going to win. And uh, Ashley Gentle is going to get second, and
0: Paula Finley won't take third. I mean, uh, Ashley's fast; she could she could easily win herself. So I don't know that much about Flora. So let's uh, let's see how let's see how she does.
1: She is the Olympic champion, so that that carries some some extra motivation, I think. (laughs) All right, all right, and then on the men's side, uh, you know, we don't want to just read you this really long list, but I think we're For me, like I'm really excited to see Alistair Brownlee come here. Um, He's one guy that when I was pro, like I never actually got to race him, so I was never. uh, He and Sebastian Keenley are like the two guys that I I'm really excited to kind of see here. Um, I know that Keenley's probably not going to be a factor as far as winning the race, but um, it is pretty neat to uh, to see those guys coming to Irving, Texas to race. So that's that's really cool. Um, But a lot of big names on here. Magnus did I'm interested to see how he does racing at, you know, something that's more more or less like a 70.3. I think he's kind of broken through at Ironman. Um, I, I don't know if this distance is a little bit too fast for him. Um, and then Sam long, uh, Rudy Von Berg, Lionel, uh, Florian Ingers. I think we're, he should be kind of in the mix. Uh, Jackson laundry, probably, uh, one of the dark horse guys to maybe get on the podium. Um, ben Knute, uh Jason West, if he can have some some company. Uh, and then I think the guys that I'm also really excited to see is Casper Storns. He is part of the Norwegian trio, Kasper and Christian and, and Gustav. And so I uh, will get to see him race some long horse. Uh, and then one of the other young Norwegians, he's 23, Vettelbergsvik Thorn. He was on the podium at Bergen at the World Cup a couple of weeks ago. And so we'll get to see what he looks like at at the long distance too.
0: Yeah, there, there's just so many storylines here. One, all the athletes you just mentioned, uh, but then you also have Sam Long, Sam Laidlow. I want to see more of that drama. Um, yeah. Do you think that they're going to make them interview together again? I really hope that they do. <laughs> I, I hope so too. Uh, I don't think you know, so, but but I would like it um, if that's the drama that the PTO is trying to create. I think it's it is a little bit overdone. It's a little ridiculous, but let's, let's go for it.
1: Might as well. Right.
0: Uh, Um, why not? Yeah, there is a pro, uh,
1: press conference on Friday and, uh, it's open for age groupers to go watch. So, um, if I can get out there early enough, I might, I might try to
0: catch some of that and I'll let you know, but, Uh, we'll see what happens on friday they just put everyone in alphabetical order to first name so sam and sam are sitting right (laughs) we didn't do it on purpose i swear yeah that'd be that'd be great uh yeah okay so i I also want to take a short break to talk about the the rankings right now wait before we dive into the i know I want to take a quick break because in the list, they they put everyone according to ranking. They're going to number them according to ranking. The rankings matter at the end of the year. They pay them based off ranking. Uh, And I don't know the details, whether it was 24 months down to 18 or 18 down to 12. But the PTO changed how they do ranking on a rolling basis. Um, They cut it downward. So we have Alistair Brownlee, who candidly has raced and beaten nobody. Um, but because of the change, uh, sorry, I don't know what a better way to put it, but because of the changes, he is now the fifth rank men's professional triathlete in the world. Uh, and again, has raced in beat nobody ahead of Daniel Backagard, ahead of Sam long ahead of the long list of athletes below him makes no sense to me and is completely frustrating as a viewer when you're trying to watch this and I'm sure there's other examples. I'm not trying to pick on Alistair; he's obviously a world-class athlete. He just hasn't had the results that, uh, that he's probably capable of achieving. Um, but there's probably a lot of example of these where, you know, it's, it almost now feels or looks like it makes sense. If you're trying to chase PTO points to go do races that don't have a stiff competition, just to get the points ahead of some athletes. Like it's very clear. Lionel and Sam um, seek out these races with big names and st- stiff competition. Uh, and that just wasn't the case for Alistair and he's being rewarded for it, which is, I think, unfair. All right. So that's the end of my rant.
1: No, that makes sense. I, I'm definitely in favor of something that's more like a normal traditional point system um, or races have, you know, something that models world triathlon and we we're, we're the level of the race has a set point value. And then um, the other thing, the thing that world triathlon does well, that Ironman didn't do what they previously had a point system was they have a quality of field factor. So if someone is ranked really high, it adds a f- small percentage to the the point value of the race. So you can get some extra points just because good people go.
2: And yeah. then,
1: uh, yeah, I think, th- I think something like that would be great. The time and the mystery, how there were races yesterday. We have no idea how many points those people scored that's a little annoying.
0: Yeah. 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 And again, not picking on Alistair. He could very well be the fifth best drafted in the world right now. We just haven't seen it, but right. apparently that's what the PTO, the PTO thinks that um, I'm glad that we have these big races to figure these things out. And we're finally getting a lot of, we're getting a lot more opportunity to see these big athletes race against one another back to the yeah. PTO us open. Um, who are your picks?
1: Alistair Brownlee is going to win
0: by four minutes. Wow. You're doing
1: that just because he's crazy. actually better. than the <laughs> world. He is actually the third best long horse triathlete in the world. And then in Kona, he's going to get second. Um, so yeah. Alistair Brownlee is going to win by a lot. I don't think that there's anybody here that's even going to make it interesting. Um, really? No. Nope. Geez. Wow. That's a, that's a call. He's going to be out of the, out of the water with Ben Canute and the front guys. He's going to be fine on the bike. He's probably going to run whatever the 11 and a half mile equivalent of a one Oh eight half marathon is. And, uh, he'll take the win. My pick for second is Lionel. Cause I'm sure that he's in very good shape and he's probably prepared for this. Um, and then I'm going to go out
0: on a limb a little bit and I'm going to say that Jackson laundry gets third. Jackson's laundry is that close to Alistair. Then Alistair might just start walking again. So we'll, we we got to be careful. Yeah, uh, We saw that, we saw that at 70.3, what was Oceanside, right? Oceanside. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just can't pick Alistair because here's the reason why I think that you, you see a lot of bike power here, the front group. Yeah. They're going to, they're strong, they're stacked, but they know that they're going to have to push huge power to maintain that gap. And it's not like you're only going to have Sam and Lionel pushing power behind him. You got Tons of other guys that are not going to come out in that front group that are going to be willing and wanting to push power. So it's not just going to be Sam, Lionel pushing the effort and everyone's hanging on to the back. This is going to be anyone that's in that chase. They're going to be slingshotting around one another, pushing it hard, really driving a high tempo. Um, and I can't wait to like see because Lionel and Sam are both very open on their YouTubes on Strava, the power that they're pushing at the start of those races. They're going to, they're going to be pushing 400 Watts until they catch the front of the race. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I'm also happy that this is a PTO race. So we have bigger distances between the riders. So drafting hopefully won't be as much of an effect as it would be if it was an Ironman branded event. But um, yeah, I think, I think just that is going to mean that Alistair knows he's going to know that those guys are pushing a lot of power behind him. They're going to push extra hard. And the reason that we haven't seen the performances from Alistair in the past, I think, is because he's swimming hard, biking harder than he wants to, and he's getting onto the run and he doesn't have that, doesn't have the run that he could have otherwise, right? So if, if Alistair can slow down that front group and there's risk reward to that, he'll have a stronger run. Yeah. Coming off the bike. But if, if that front group is, is a little scared of what's coming behind them and they over bike, they'll blow up.
2: Yeah.
1: No, that, that makes sense. Especially on this bike course, it's basically completely flat three and a half miles out turn to <laughs> come back. So it is going to be a lot of power, but I think for him, it's if he can come out with a couple other good swimmers and just kind of sit there and he doesn't try to go to the front and get overly aggressive and he could be in the middle, you know, if there's a front group of four or five, then that's his, his ticket
0: to an easy way all right um I, I really always like to pick Lionel because i think he's he's just a a likable character and um uh, love to pick him but again i, I don't i don't necessarily, he's just not quite there yet um so i'm i'm pro, i'm gonna go with magnus Ditlov because he's an all around athlete i don't I, th- I don't think he'll be uh, he won't be in the front group coming out of the swim necessarily but he's not gonna be in the back group with Sam. And Lionel. So if there is a bridge effort that he needs to make to get into the front, it's going to be a little easier than for him. Um, he'll be a little fresher for the run. He's a world-class runner. Um, I do think, I do think Lionel, though, is a podium contender. So I'll put him at second. And uh who for third? I this is a tough one. There's just tons of people here that can make a significant run. Um Daniel Bakagar, we'll go with Daniel rounding out the podium
1: good pick and you must be a, a danish fan they're strong they're strong um and, and i think they're coming to race yeah and they've got other strong guys even down the list if you look like christian hogan how did mickey Taggle,
0: like denmark is uh they, they brought a good crew so it's not too I late for you to come watch this race michael i wish i could i would love to see again you know there's again so many stories here like a sebastian keenly like being relevant in any way would be super cool. Um, I know I mentioned him in the past, but Andrew Starkowitz just do something on the bike also would be cool. I mean, the guy's got the biggest legs in triathlon and like, he just comes down, he just comes out of the water way too far back to be relevant. So so that's a little bit disappointing, but, um, again, yeah, I think there's a ton of athletes that that could be relevant. Jackson Laundrie, a good pick. I think, um, Jason West, if he can hang in on the bike could be relevant as well. So, do we want to do a quick recap of Bergen? Yeah, super quick.
1: Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it short. I just wanna wanted to point out on Bergen. I think uh, if you listen to our last episode, my pick for the win was Dorian Konnex over Christian Blumenfeld in a sprint finish, and that's what happened. They were one second apart. Uh, it was a pretty
0: exciting sprint. Did you watch the race, Michael? I I saw a, hi- a replay of the very end, like on Twitter or something, mm-hmm. just because of how close it was. It was it was obviously shared quite often um but other than that i didn't see any bit of this race oh you, you need to go
1: back and watch it was pretty good the run the run was was pretty exciting the bike uh, it was kind of the normal draft legal smaller group kind of off the front um, but it was a pretty exciting race so dorian conix got the win christian blumenfeld got second and vettelberg's fake thorn we mentioned a little earlier uh, he was able to get third um on the windows. It's women's just crazy side, it's, that
0: Christian could drop down to that distance. I mean it is, he's a current goat. He's got to be the yeah. current you shouldn't say current goat, but he, he's got to be yeah. viewed as as the best triathlete all around right now. Yeah. On on a tough
1: ride, off the off of a tough ride, uh, I mean, he still ran 1444 for 5k. Uh, the bike course was hard. It was cobbled. It was so cobbled that it was kind of hard to watch because it was shaking so badly. The the video. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's amazing that he's got that much range and I guess we'll, we'll find out at Kona in a few weeks. Um, the women's side, there was a little bit of controversy, but 18 year old Tilda Manson won, uh, is the same thing. One second down to a sprint finish and there's some bumping around in the last, uh, last hundred meters, but, um, she's really, really strong, great runner. Um, she's not always a front pack swimmer but she looks like she might be somebody to to watch out for uh, the next couple of years. Um, she's the youngest person to win a world cup since Vanessa Fernandez way back in the mid two thousands. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll recap 70 point seat three Santa Cruz. Uh, I think it was actually quite interesting. So we have um, Tim O'Donnell back making it's his first race. I, I believe professional start since his heart issue in my clash Miami. Right. Um, so he was able to to get second, uh, behind Eric Lagerstrom, which was really cool, um, to see Eric on top of the podium, Tim O'Donnell second. Uh, key takeaway from that is I think Tim's, I'm sorry to say this, but is Tim done.
1: I think, I mean, he's, he's getting older. He's 40. He's almost 42. Um, but to be able to still come back and get second at a 70.3. It
2: is, is it is,
0: it's a, it's incredible, right? I'm not saying he's a slouch, but, um, I think the performance, the speed that you're going to need to then go to Kona, right? I mean, his goal is obviously Kona, um, yeah. to be competitive at that level. I think, I think it's just, yeah, the time, is, the clock is ticking. Yeah. But one, I mean, one of the most likable people when you're watching social media and, and all the, everything that he puts out there for a triathlon. So love the guy. Um, but it just looks like the clock was ticking from that race, a really good race by Eric too, by the way, um, just leading it from the front right out of the swim. Yeah. And then uh, on
1: the women's side, uh, Rennie was able to match Tim's finish. She also got second behind Sarah Crowley. So good to see both of them doing pretty well coming back.
0: Yeah. Uh, they're a serious power couple in triathlon, really cool stuff. Um, yeah. Ironman Wales. I want to cover really quickly. Um, uh, cause I think maybe there's two talking points here. One Joe Skipper took the win, uh, not necessarily most crowded competition, but he had a, I think they, I saw in the reports a 20 plus minute mechanical delay. So he was on the side of the road, 20 plus minutes was still able to get back on the bike, compose himself. Like, I don't know how, like as a, as an athlete, how you compose yourself and feel like you still have a chance in that race, what was able to do that, come back and win. So hats off to Joe for doing that. Um, but then the second point I want to kind of get at, which I know has been talked about on on a lot of different channels across the internet already is, is Kona and Joe is one of the very first or early people to say he is skipping Kona. Yep. And the cost, which is, it's all, it's all about the cost to, to get there. The cost to get there and the prize money that is available. Joe understand, which is kind of crazy to me because I would feel that Joe is a, a top 10 caliber athlete, top five caliber athlete, potentially on a good day. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it, if you're a professional triathlete, you have to kind of view it as risk reward. You have to go there. You have to perform. If you don't perform, you get nothing potentially, right? They only pay down to 15th. Now, I think you were telling me earlier, Keith. So if you fall outside of that top 15, you spend a extreme amount of money to get there race perform you could walk away with nothing so it could be a very expensive trip uh, if it doesn't go your way yeah and
1: it's unfortunate that we're seeing that this year but i think i think some of it is the just it it hasn't happened in so long that the the housing and and things like that they're trying to make their money back in the last couple years so it's
0: it's that i mean iron man's creating this situation one it hasn't happened there in a long time i think that's a factor but they're splitting the race, men and women, into multiple days. They're at, they're going to be adding more slots to Kona than they have in the past okay. to make more money. I mean, Ironman yeah. is doing this as a money grab to get money from athletes. And in return, the race is expensive. The venue is getting more expensive because now you're populating a very small town in Hawaii, which is the middle of the Pacific, hard for literally everybody to get to, uh, it's just becoming more difficult for everybody. So I don't know the right answer to this, but I think Ironman needs to figure something out, either pay yeah. professionals further down the list. Uh, but then at some point, at what point are age groupers going to decide not to go? It's hard to imagine that, but at some point age groupers will decide it's just not worth the cost. The competition for where am I going to stay is going to become so extreme that who can, who can really afford to go to that race right and and that's actually it's it's funny that you brought that up because that's something that i've been trying to
1: weigh is if i'm i'm looking at an iron man next year and i don't think i would take my kona spot if i got one uh just because of the cost and the travel and to me i could just race yeah. domestically
2: yeah
0: it's yeah it's a it's at least a week off that you're gonna have yeah, to pay do five and 10 grand minimum yeah if not more so um yeah and we live in the u.s and you might it might not be the most expensive flight. People that don't live in the United States are going to have significant more costs associated with that. So anyway, I hope to see, um, I think that that's a talking point that will continue to develop for future conversations. And hopefully it's because Ironman is putting out statements or they're doing something to address potential pros not going there. Another one that has said he's not going is uh, Sam Long. He's not going to Kona this year. Uh, right. And he said it wasn't because of, costs even though costs are expensive he says because his focus is on 70.3 but part of me just i don't know if i buy it entirely sam long not going to Kona because of costs i think some of it has to be cost his preparation like but if i was him yeah my advice just go and learn um go and learn You might not be able able to afford it well knowing yeah if he he falls outside of the top 15 that entire expense falls on his shoulders or if he's able to get sponsors to chip in for that Still a big percent or some factor of it falls onto his shoulders. And if you go and you fall outside of the top 15 there, how does that impact your the views your sponsors have of you versus if you go win a race somewhere else the couple weeks following? Right. right? Like it's so much for professionals to kind of contemplate
1: and all that. Yeah. But that's good conversation. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk a lot more about Code in the next few weeks. So
0: okay. We absolutely will. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, if you have questions, you want to chime in to the Try Faster podcast, reach out to either of us on social media uh, or just post something hashtag Try Faster podcast. We'll we'll collect those prior to our next conversation.
2: Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody.